0: Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TST Magazine. I'm your host Sam Davis and on today's episode we're joined by Orphantise founder and CEO Andre Wegner. Orphantize is a provider of data-driven workflow management software, establishing itself first in the additive manufacturing space before expanding into other sectors. Throughout our conversation, Wagner details his motivation for setting up the company a decade ago, the growth of its product portfolio, and the big opportunities for the company in AM moving forward. He also shares his thoughts on the growth of the additive manufacturing industry, and the prospect of consolidation in a market that is still maturing. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more Additive Insight, head on over to tcdmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCD Magazine and our weekly Additive Insight newsletter for free. Andre, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having
0: me. No worries. So if we can go back to the start, um, you found the Dolphins Highs over a decade ago i think so can you take us back to to that point and explain the the problems and the challenges that you and um, and you know and the company were striving to address when you first set out
1: yeah happily i mean uh, yeah, yes it's, it's 2012 is when we first started thinking about it um incorporated in 2013 so it has been a decade it's amazing um we we Initially started out trying to address a problem around distributed manufacturing, which you know has been a, a big unfulfilled promise of additive. I mean, there's maybe a, a, a few examples, but not many. Um, specifically, we were encouraged by an event in Nigeria that um, a, an, a a plane crash that killed 159 um and was caused by the fact that a spare part was broken or part was broken in the and and the company couldn't replace it on time so they kept the plane flying it takes a minimum of three days to get a spare part into the country Mm. um and you know I, i think additive still has the promise of being able to address that um that point of failure so you know we will make parts on demand where they're demanded um and and be able to do those make those parts with the same kind of reliability as we have in centralized production locations. But we're not nearly there yet. So um, we had to pivot a little bit from our initial product, which was kind of to stream designs into 3D printers because we realized that it was going to take a long time to uh, make a sustainable company out of that uh, promise. And instead, we focused on where the industry was, is you know, today, which is more kind of centralized production, understanding the process, capturing the process, and really... Asked our customers at the time, well, what do you want out of this, right? And actually, I've got to give Rico a bunch of credit here. They they came to us and they said, um, you know, we really need a, a, a product that um, tracks the process end to end, and and so that's what we've been building since uh, 2015. So after our pivot, mm. um, and it's a great, uh, it you know, it's a. It's a Sustainable product, it, it, it makes enough money to pay for itself and it, and it's growing um, fairly nicely, and, and it really there's a kind of oodle of uh, oodles of, of interesting problems to solve in that, like genealogy management and, and things like that. So I, I won't go too deep into that, but um, right now we can we can talk about it later. But that so so that's kind of our main product at the moment, and, and we've just released a new one, which I'm sure we'll get to speak about later on. But the, that's kind of the origin of, of Authentics Today.
0: Okay, so in terms of the product portfolio, as you mentioned, um, you know it's kind of evolved and grown over the years. Um, talk to me about the, I guess, the R and D work that goes into those product, and also navigating the product roadmap. How how early on do you do you know that you need to develop a product, and how long does it take to kind of bring that to fruition?
1: That's an interesting question, right? So after we develop the product. Um, for a market that didn't really exist, so this initial streaming product, Mm -hmm. we've become maybe a bit too cautious in terms of managing our roadmap. And we really only build those features that there's there's very clear customer demand for. And and that's usually expressed in terms of revenue, right? So we don't usually build products unless the customer or features, unless the the customer's coming to us and saying, hey, I I, I really need this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, just building on the incremental kind of demand of the customers I mean famously you know Ford uh, said that had you asked the horse riders what they wanted they would have said faster horses right they you know <laughs> you, the customers don't always know what they want so especially not in the mid to long term horizon and that's where um, you know we we have struggled to finance that. Of our own bank, it makes no sense to use private capital sources or so venture capital to finance that because the returns, still years in the future, right? And you can't return that revenue to the to the venture capital investors as quickly. Um, so the only really viable option to finance that type of work is um, is government support. And and there you've got kind of a weaker sense of of customer validation because you you usually have consortia, you have to. To have a winning application you have to have some level of customer demand uh, that you can show so it's not completely unjustified but it, it is you know a uh, a lower threshold from the customer than saying give us half a million dollars to build that feature you know so um and and that's been very rewarding for us because um you know the incrementalism of of serving existing customer needs is also you know, it's it's an interesting challenge. Um, but it, it can be a little bit sort of, you know, not fulfilling the vision that we set out with um, maybe it's the best way to put it. So mm. we working with the government to deliver those types of longer term features is really rewarding, um, emotionally and intellectually. And so we built a team around that now and we have um, a standalone separate team. Just a quick word, kind of a rabbit hole there. I, I used to run a, a microfinance fund in India, and Nigeria, and and witnessed a lot of work, great companies getting distracted by government money. So you know, I've always been very cautious about that. So we've we've intentionally structured it with kind of a completely separate as a completely separate entity that that is itself a a customer of our tech group. Um, so we're we're still managing to balance that work with the demands that the customers are are throwing our way. So it's really. You know, it's working really well from that perspective and the team is doing great too we have I think we have six contracts that we've been working on over the last two and a half years uh, we have three major ones starting and it's um, it's good for us to also be able to be in a position where we can um, kind of talk to customers or, or potential customers about what's coming down down the road and a lot of the recent things that we've been doing are the product of those types of Activities so, mm. and uh, you know, like 3D GPT, which was released recently. Mm-hmm.
0: And if we go back to you know, I guess the the kind of workflow management, engineering process capabilities that <clears throat> perhaps oftentimes is, is most known for with the kind of flagship products. What kind of receptions did those tools and those features and those platforms get from from the machine providers and, and I guess the end users when when they were first introduced to market?
1: Um, it, you know, so from the machine providers, I think initially that there was some confusion at the machine provider level on, on what they should be doing. You know, it's basically a lack of knowledge of the software space made them close down a little bit and say, hey, you know, we don't want to lose any value here. So we're not going to support anybody who doesn't, uh, you know, who's building software yeah. full stop, right? Other than maybe materialized. Um, that's changed a little. I think there's maturity in, in the understanding of, of the role that, that machine vendors play in the software ecosystem. And uh, uh, you can see that by the fact that, you know, uh, the majority of large uh, OEMs now have their own um, APIs and, uh, you know, are, are formalizing ways to work uh, with others. I mean, there's still problems there. you and I, um, you know, six months ago, we, we talked about how those OEMs want money from our from, from us, the software developers, as well as their clients, so they're charging both ends um, mm-hmm. for that API access, in some cases, not all. Um, and then we have you know, the, um, the, the users, and I think the users have always been interested. Um, the, the, the workflow software requires a, a lot of hand-holding to deploy properly, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a process software, and in the end, uh, deploying a process software requires process changes, no matter how easy we want to make it for the customer, right? And and so, um, in order to kind of get a return on that investment, you really have to get quite a lot of people uh, uh, get quite a lot of throughput um, in 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 your uh, in your production system, um, or have another reason like a. A compliance reason that makes you want to track the data properly right mm-hmm. so um yeah i think i think now the scaled institutions or the scaling institutions both on the you know the service service bureau side as well as the oem users um i think they're beginning to realize yeah there there is there is use here um, how ready they are depends on their their own maturity um, and it, you know i, I don't I, I would never want to serve or, you know push an organization to serve too early our, our biggest competitor still is kind of the internal build people that are choosing to glue a system together in some way using you know airtable or you know quickbooks lite or something and I, I guess you know we're not really serving those people we're serving people that are slightly larger that have you know the, the an understanding of the value that full digital thread work can bring them so um, i think the initial reception was uh, interested but for, from the user side was interested mm-hmm. but maybe not big enough and we've seen a, a definitely an uptake uptake in the last 18 to 24 months yeah
0: so in terms of <clears throat> having your um product adopted do you find the the biggest challenge is a a case of an openness to collaborate with the oems or a, an openness to change the way they're doing things from the end user point of view
1: yeah we definitely have uh experienced openness i mean it's vendor it's vendor vendor specific right i mm. mean it's not not everybody is as open and as as excited about collaborating <laughs> as we as as others are mm-hmm. um, and yeah the the users are definitely interested in finding out um, so there's two reasons why users engage with us right i mean from the workflow management side one is and usually they 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 both have to happen for us to have a successful relationship the the one is pure roi it's efficiency at the op, at the operator level mm-hmm. you yeah, know or operations manager level and we can usually get you know if you if you're putting through you know Five polymer SLS, SLS machines, and you you know, or three metal machines. We can usually get um, an ROI of three to four x within the first year. So, so we can get that efficiency gain through the door. Um, the uh, the other reason why people buy us is, is knowledge capture, and you can think of that in terms of compliance and, and traceability. But you can also think of that in terms of not losing that tribal knowledge that appears on the shop floor, right? And and usually that's of interest more to the managerial level. Um, and so in both, both of those are playing an important role. And if you think about where the growth is in the industry, the, the medical, the defense and the and the, and the space applications in additive, then then you know both of those elements are going to be really important to, to them. So both of those knowledge elements in particular, right?
0: Mm. Um, and I guess in in more recent times so I think around the time of of Formnext last year um, you've made a a couple of product launches one of which was was Guidelines and I think the other was Digital Design Warehouse Um, Mm -hmm. so do you want to kind of explain I guess the capabilities of those products but also the motivation behind launching them um, and then maybe touch on because it's been I guess six months as we record now the kind of adoption of of those and, and how, you know, they've been they've been received out in the industry as well.
1: Yeah, so there's a difference, right? Um, uh, guidelines is a feature of flows and um, and for which we we just got an honourable mention from TCT, so I'm, <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. It's really cool. Um, and then DDW or the Digital Design Warehouse is a standalone product that we sell. Right. Um, and and there are three or four standalone products. in in addition to Flows. And and they're kind of smaller products that are essentially features that we have stripped out of the the main workflow tool. So if you think about Flows, our main workflow tool, it's, you know, order through shipment, order through part. So we track the whole process. But not everybody needs all of that, Mm -hmm. right? So we've been taking individual features and we've been making them available as standalone products. And the digital design warehouse is an example of that. It's a library, which we already had, have, have and had in flows, but we added a bit of integration with Caster, for example, for um, feasibility uh, analysis and, and some white labeling opportunity to allow others to take, take advantage of that. So that's that. The other two uh, standalone products that um, have recently been launched, one is the RFQ Responder, so that's more kind of engineering side quoting for service bureaus that, are, that, that have, you know, aren't quoting necessarily only on the website, but they have a more engaged process. Um, and then we have a material management. Um, and, and all of those have users. They're, they're great. And for us, they are a beginning of a conversation with the customer. So it's really exciting to work with them um, in a variety of different ways. And, and yeah, we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every every user. I and mean, you're going to continue to see this, you know, um, down the line. We can talk about what other products might be coming up. But but these standalone features or standalone products that are essentially feature of the biggest bigger platform are important elements in our distribution. Are important elements mm-hmm. in us realizing the value of the the things that we build um, for the customer and for us. So mm-hmm. it's really great um, to be working on that. Guy and and guidelines as a feature is is us on a longer term journey it's a product of one of those um, innovation grants that we received, and it's really understanding that there's a lot of knowledge locked in at the operator level and it's not being captured anywhere but the operator's head right and we need better ways to communicate existing knowledge like uh, journal articles and standards and thirdly that if we want any hope of distributing artificial intelligence into the manufacturing sector. It has to be done in a transparent operator in the loop type of way. And so we have to think about ways of distributing that. And guidelines is a vehicle for that because it's essentially, just to describe it very briefly, it's an if this, then that rule set that you can structure. Um, So, you know, if you're printing on this machine with this material, with this layer height, then add uh, a polishing post-processing step just to make sure that you get the surface finish that you want, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and there are many other ways of, of being able to do that. We we can do that pre-process, so it can help you plan your production method and your production schema, and we can do that in process, so it detects machine data or feedback from the material or whatever, and then it uh, can suggest actions to you in process. So really exciting work that's gone in there, mm-hmm. but it's not something that is going to, like, create big waves right from the start. It's a slow burn for us. And we, we knew that mm. when we launched it, right? Because it's essentially creating a framework that is going to be utilized in a variety of different ways for those three aims, you know, distributing knowledge, capturing tribal knowledge, and being able to distribute AI uh, insights. You know, AI is only just starting to make waves, so mm. we can't expect the framework to deploy that information to be an overnight success. So there's definitely work that's um, that's still required there, and also one of the reasons that the the team around innovate grants and innovation grants is still there, right, um, mm. to be able to do that.
0: In terms of guidelines, what what are the what could be the the kind of real term impact of that in a in a manufacturing facility? Because I think there's a number of things going on where you've got that um, you know, sharing of, of tribal knowledge, um, as as one thing, um, and I mean, is that is that a? Let's take that first of all. Is that how big of an issue is tribal knowledge um, in in the additive manufacturing space? And I guess as a follow on to that, I think when we spoke about it six months ago, you were talking about um, a lot of these machine operators are PhDs, and and perhaps as an element of their. Um, their, their capacity and their intelligence and their skill set is not being best applied just doing some of the, the kind of manual work and in, in operating in a machine. So can you kind of go through what the real-term impact of implementing a system like this in a facility could be?
1: Yeah, I mean, bottom line is I think you're going to have less fewer failed builds and, and less scrap, right? Mm. I mean, at the bottom line, because you're capturing tribal knowledge, because you're making these suggestions... Um, I think you're also going to find that as a result of this, the time to market for new materials is going to drop radically because those kind of suggestions that you might have for individual geometries being printed in copper, for example, or some, some kind of new material that you're trying to get into market. Um, uh, you can distribute those, those ideas that are not necessarily hard and fast rules, right? Mm. So hard and fast rules that absolutely everybody needs to follow. Can be easily encoded in prescriptive workflows, right? So this would be like a workflow template that you're you're mm-hmm. just following, right? But there are thousands of ideas and 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 knowledge pieces that that happen outside of that that set of known um, rules, and and these are these are suggestions effectively, mm-hmm. and so those suggestions. Um, are information that in addition to the parameter set that you might be distributing, you can also say this parameter set may change slightly if you're printing a geometry that has this type of description, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the the route to market, so just two examples, right? Route to market for for new materials and new machines and um, and the, the ability to deliver um, lower scrap rates and, and higher yield Um two examples of things that I think um, we're going to be able to accomplish in addition to many more that are yet undiscovered, right? Because as I said, guidelines is a framework, um, not necessarily a, a finished product, mm-hmm.
0: right? And then a couple of your, let's talk through your, your, I guess your most recent announcements um, as we as we sit here today, one of which is, is Threads, um, which I understand is not a kind of AM-specific tool but um, could apply. So can you Talk to us about the kind of motivation behind that tool and, and what it what it offers um, users.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just to again describe our product portfolio very very high level. Right, mm-hmm. Authentize is a workflow company. We produce workflow tools. We we're, we're not a company that provides kind of the latest and greatest algorithms. That's where we partner with third com- third party companies and integrate them into those workflows. Right. Um, and, and Flows, our, our kind of um, flagship product, has been the order-to-part to, to part process, right? Order-to-shipment process. And, and that um, manages the production uh, um, process and, and some of the, the actual kind of customer interaction, the ordering. But there's a whole bunch of uh, process that happens either before that, so the idea-to-order process, or falls outside of... Kind of the the prescriptive rules of a workflow tool of a of a production workflow tool. Um, I'm thinking here, for example, like a non-conformance reporting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, and those kinds of issues are typically discussed around a table, in an Excel sheet, on a whiteboard, in a meeting, on a phone call, whatever. That is unstructured. Those are unstructured conversations. Those are those are those are conversations that usually happen with. A relatively small group, I'm thinking, you know, between four and 15 people, right? And they're usually concerning a relatively discrete task, right? So temporarily, uh, uh, sort of ad hoc uh, meeting nature or uh, problem nature, but they don't necessarily have a predefined process. It's not like I take an order, I quote it, I build it, right? There's no, we know that at the end, there's a, a there's usually an expected outcome. Right? But the path to get there might be Warren, mm-hmm. and we don't know what that looks like yet. And, and the challenge is that none of the workflow tools in the market today, whether they're additive or non-additive, whether it's Jira or Flows or whatever it is, none of those tools do a very good job at capturing those unstructured kind of conversations and extracting from them some of the structure that you need to be able to retrace them in the, in the future, to be able to contextualize them against other events that are taking place, et, et cetera. So et are cetera. many advantages of why unstructured conversations should at least have the result of some structure so that uh, they don't aren't lost into the ether. Mm-hmm. The best example is right now, our only way of communicating um, product intent is the geometry, right? At the end of the design process, here's a design. Most often, the intent is completely lost, Mm. right? You go to that geometry, and this is actually the biggest problem in the 3D printing industry, is that we're faced with billions of possible designs, billions of spare parts, all of which had some sort of design intent, all of them had some sort of constraint, and none of that was captured. So when we get that design, we have to completely re-engineer it. We have to go back to first principles and understand what was it used for, where should the load forces come in, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not capturing that information. I feel very passionately about this because it's basically meant that we aren't able to utilize some of these really cool algorithms like generative design algorithms to their fullest extent because we, we have to do so much work in identifying the initial requirements before we can even... Utilize that if we had a structured way of capturing the intent We might just be able to throw, you know hundreds of millions of designs through the generative design optimizers And come up with 3d printable designs at the end, right? If we if we had if we if if we didn't only have a design Mm -hmm. Designs are very dumb things. They're just communicating the shape, right? They don't even communicate in in like 99.9% of cases communicate the material to be used Mm. um so i i as you can see i'm, I'm pretty pretty well, here i'm pretty passionate about this and threads is a is is an initial attempt to capture that conversation um so now it puts us in a really great position Authentize is a company that um provides workflows and can capture and manage your process all the way from the earliest idea to the final parts going out the door mm. right so um it and we have this very flexible tool that we can also deploy later in the process down to field services, right? Or, or as I said, the non-conformance um, process. So um, threads is a really important aspect um, for us. And if you combine that with the announcement we had the week before, which was around the use of, of AI in, in 3D printing. So we put into the market, the free experiment of um, uh 3D printing-infused knowledge into uh, GPT um, models. and But if you combine a kind of a, a collaboration tool like Threads, which is effectively a chat tool with a, a, a project management, a flexible project management framework, that chat component can benefit very heavily from that AI, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, Threads asks the user to manually identify Events as they're taking place events may be insights or decisions or some or question or something like that Using AI we can more easily identify those events Automatically Mm -hmm. and we can keep better track of what's going on. So the user can just have a conversation and we are capturing their intent as we go uh, Go along, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really great opportunities for us um, to leverage the latest technologies inside of those unstructured environments so that I was just describing.
0: As you um, to look into looking at you know look out at the the additive manufacturing industry and the way the technology is used, what what do you see as the key challenges that a company like Authentize is best placed to solve going forward?
1: Um, so. I've always said that additive it, is a great industry to be I'm super delighted to to have grown up here. Um the the things that we that are unique about about additive is that you know it started from a digital place. So uh, digital it's digital first, right? Mm-hmm. We, and the result is perhaps that we have more data in this process and it's more readily available than ever before. And then secondly that we didn't have the constraints about um, of, of kind of legacy around us, right? We, we I mean, It's a 30-year-old, 40-year-old industry, so there's now some legacy in it, but it's nowhere near the same kind of legacy as, let's say, in Subtractive that does constrain the way you think and does constrain the way your customers think, and so um, limits adoption from that perspective. And then finally, what makes add, add- additive is every part is unique, right? So your, your driver is lot size one, and... And and I think that the rest of the world is moving in that direction. We saw with that supply chain disruption during COVID that lot size one is going to play an ever more important part. And so limiting the insights that we gain out of the the additive industry to the additive industry to only to work there would be undervaluing the insights that we've gained and, um, you know, retarding the growth i think i mean it might be very arrogant to say but retarding the growth of those other industries so of course we're going to be going after um high mix low volume industries mm-hmm. um like the composite industry for example right i mean that makes complete sense cooling mold jig fixture, in general you know not only additive we should be going after those industries because well we have a a, a moral and a financial obligation to do so right mm-hmm. and that that makes complete sense that the the tools now. Should we be going after that with a tool like Flows, which is looks to the outside world uh, like a a manufacturing execution system, right? That's the kind of category of products that we fall into. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we should. I don't think we I don't think it's it's good. it's easy enough to differentiate. Uh, the value that we're bringing in a very crowded market like MES, right? One that has hundreds, maybe even thousands of competitors in traditional industries that's mm-hmm. already extremely fragmented. So it's another reason why we kind of distilled the insights that we gained of the additive knowledge, additive industry into threads. So because threads is a, is a bit more of a blue ocean, it allows us to go outside of that kind of very contested marketplace where it's so hard to differentiate yourself or really scream above the cl- crowd. So, um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how we bring our insight and our experience from the additive market into the the broader market. But if I were a gambling man, I would gamble more on threads than on on flows. Having said that, we have great customers who are not building additive parts already using flows. So Mm. quiz me. Could be. Could be either one at the end of the day, right? I mean, as I said, I'm a, if I were a gambling man. Fortunately for my family, I'm not. So, um, <laughs> um, we'll see.
0: When um, when it was announced that Orphan Tires was going to kind of gradually look outside of additive, um, I think we covered the we covered the story. We interviewed you, um, and I know when when that article went out, you were, you were quite keen to um, reassure people that you do you do still have a play in, in additive and. Um, You know, care about the industry. What within talking within the additive manufacturing industry? What do you see as the, I guess, the big challenges and the big hurdles and the big barriers um, for people to get the the most out of the the technology? That's maybe not even in authentizers control, but as an industry, we need to kind of address this hurdle. To, to kind of, you know, uh, having, maximise the potential. I had a
1: very interesting customer visit um, about two months ago um, and by a traditional manufacturing process, right? Mm. And that traditional manufacturing process is running three shifts and has a 97% OEE rate, right? So their machines are producing, paying parts 97% of the time and... The additive group, which was 10% of the floor space, had five or six metal machines, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One shift. Three of those machines weren't producing anything at the time I was there, right? Um, And probably has an OEE rate, I mean, they won't know until they start using us, of, you know, the low 20s, if that, right? And and so that's the challenge. Mm. Bottom line... Now, there's a lot of ways you have to solve that challenge, right? There's demand to fill three shifts, right? So that's one thing. There's reliability of the machines themselves. I've heard of at least three events of metal machines burning down over the last couple, couple weeks. I mean, that's, that's insane, right? That shouldn't happen. Um, And it requires kind of communicating the latest and greatest information, which I think is part of a few of these are a role that we can play, right? Um, so I, I think that, but the bottom line comes down to, we need to get to 97% OE. right? and, and there's going to be a lot of different ways of, of utilizing that, um, and, and into demand falls, additive appropriate designs. And, you know, the ability to have all the way to, we need a new structure, a new, new, new type of airplane that is being built because the traditional ones are already certified, aren't going to allow for a lot of additive opportunity in them. So we need the next generation of, of planes to come about, which is also been delayed by COVID. It's a very, very, you know, complex problem. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that OEE rate needs to increase to 97%. right? otherwise, you're never going to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, the industry has the knowledge, there's some really, really interesting, you know. Uh, um, experienced people in the industry and you, you're right you know there's a lot of phds running around these factory floors i think that the phd to um revenue rate is probably the highest out of any industry except for maybe the quantum industry um you know or the hypersonics industry uh, at the moment but it it's it's super interesting that i think we have the knowledge to to solve that bottom line 97 problem but we're still a long way from it mm. so as a, yeah, pulling our socks up is a is a big challenge.
0: One thing you mentioned last time we spoke as well was um, like the next killer application, and where is that coming from? That you know the kind of application that can open up. You know, I think you said the next billion dollars worth of growth for the industry. Could you elaborate yeah. on the challenge there in terms of, um, I guess, landing a business case for these customers to then, for instance, and and then I guess get the the OEE out of it. And and scale that?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I I actually think that um, those opportunities are relatively rare. They happen in times of great industry uncertainty. So the space industry is a good example, right? That um, uh, the dental industry was an innovation, but also uncertainty. So the the aligner uh, uh, problem. I think that the age of new defense demands and and, and rapid growth that you're going to see a lot of drivers coming from there. Um, even down to the, the, the global grand challenge of clean tech um, is going to drive a lot of the demand and especially the compliance based rules that the governments are putting into place right now to make industries cleaner and smarter. Right. Mm. Um, we don't have a lot to show for the last 20 years of application development that billions of dollars spent in that market right so uh, it's something that we absolutely need to work on together um, I, I would say that, that there are opportunities um, to mobilize or to build on the the events that are occurring like defense uh, clean tech etc mm-hmm. but we're still a long way from finding the next well actually not true that examples all the times of people printing hundreds of thousands of a particular part it's great to see that happening right um, when that happens it, it very often is kind of bridge production so it's it's um, somebody who's not yet ready to produce at mass or you know is temporarily getting a lot of demand um, but will ultimately move to injection molding when they when the, when the prices come come right um, but sometimes there are good examples and I stick by it. You know, one of my projections for this year is that we have another dozen plus million unit um, production examples. I, I think a lot of those are actually happening mm. um, and we, we don't, we don't know about them because they're kind of hidden. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think we're still, um, you know, that there's a difference between a million unit production run and the dental liner application case. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we still have a lot of kind of growth um, to get, to get to that, that dental alignment application case. We uh, mm-hmm. want
0: to see more. What's your, in terms of, I guess, from a business perspective, more than the technology perspective, but obviously in, in the um, industry at the moment, there's a, for the last two, three years, there's been a lot of M&A, and in the last few months, has obviously been the... The saga. The, yeah, the, the Stratasys, desktop metal, right? <laughs> 3D systems, nanodimension stuff. What's your, yeah. I guess, assessment of where the industry is right now with, I guess, the m it's, it's got to a kind of a significant point. Obviously, we had Desktop Metal and X1, two competitors merging, um, all to make a, make a bot, But Desktop Metal and Stratasys and the idea that those two might merge or even a 3D systems these companies with a lot of, um, you know, a wide portfolio with a lot of different processes. What, what does that kind of signify and what does that mean for the industry, do you think?
1: Um, I'm really disappointed by it. I mean, you know, a couple of things come to mind. The the value of desktop metal was something in the region of $500 million. Mm -hmm. That's what they paid for x one, right? It's a massive destruction of value, Mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of investors have lost a lot of money in that process. Um, And um, then the, the kind of M&A activity, at the moment, the top brass of all of those companies, you know, Stratus and 3D Systems being the, the world's largest OEMs in the additive space, right? Mm-hmm. The board and the C level of those companies is just thinking about M and A right now. They're doing nothing else, and that disappoints me because, as we just talked about, there's a h- awful lot to do in this industry, right? We need to get from the low twenties to high nineties in OEE. We need to find the next billion unit applications. We we've, we've got a we've got so much work, <laughs> and and yet the top level of the world's biggest companies in our space are thinking about nothing other than kind of shareholder value creation, Mm -hmm. you know, some artificial financial instruments drives me nuts. I have no respect for it whatsoever. It's very, it's a, it's a great shame. Um, and you know, all I can do and say is, Hey, let's keep our head down and and keep on executing, working with the companies that actually want to create value, Mm -hmm. create their value. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't spend that much time thinking about it. There are smarter people than me to think about the financial world, even though I used to be in it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, those two factors really disappoint me. First of all, it indicates a massive destruction of value, like massive at a at a, at a 10x kind of scale that has lost a lot of people's livelihoods. Like the people that invested in the desktop metal spec were not only the, the big investors. The biggest investors took their money out early, right? They were replaced by retail investors that were earning, I don't know, $50,000 a year. Mm. Right. And those guys lost everything. I mean, that's, that's a personal tragedy. I'm, I'm really upset about it. And, and then you have the fact that our industry is being harmed by the reputational damage and by the fact that the C-suites of all these companies, don't get me started. You've got me started, but don't get me started again. This is, this is <laughs> it's a tragedy.
0: Okay. Let's move on with a, a couple of quick ones before we finish. So, um, I guess we'll go with, well, we'll keep on the, the industry uh, vein before we come back to an, an orphan size specific question. What are kind of the, I guess, the reasons to be cheerful, looking forward, reasons to be optimistic about um, the the growth of additive manufacturing? What opportunities do you see out there for, for orphan size and, and for others in this market?
1: Well, at the end of the day, every large com- company utilizes additive on a pragmatic level. Mm. Right. We, we even now in this downturn, we're still seeing more requests for proposals every quarter than we did the, the previous quarter. Right. So um, we have we are, we've arrived. Right. We've arrived in terms of expectations as well. So, you know, I don't think anybody in this industry is expecting it to grow by 2x every year. We'll be happy with the double digit percentages that we can get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also arrived in the heads of everybody as a technology that works so i I think that's something to be proud and excited about. I, you know, I think we all we've got a lot of work to do, but but that is that that gets me excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: and then on on Ties and the product roadmap that we've we've spoken about, um, what I guess what are you you looking at moving forward um, that that Ties can address in terms of a product that will you know that will solve a a, a real challenge out there on the market? What's in the pipeline that you can obviously tell us about at the moment?
1: Well, you know, in terms of that kind of industrialization process, uh, you know, you're going to see more standalone products that are emerging out of flows. So, you know, in-management for um, finished goods is probably one of the ones that that will be released. So you're you're building for inventory instead of just building on the fly. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, you know, I, I think that, There is, I haven't quite put my head around it, but there's an opportunity space in the application development game. I think probably an extension of some sort of, of of the work we're doing on the threads, but, but if you look at like a company like carbon, I think they've raised $2 billion or something. I mean, and I would say like half of that money has gone into hiring people to do manual application engineering with their customers. Right. And we need to digitize that that needs to scale. You know, and there's individual solutions that, that can support that process like Top or, you know, one of those guys, and topology optimization, material development, additive flow, you know, kind of uh, lattice structure optimization. It's a whole bunch of different tools, but they're individual tools. And really what needs to happen is you have an environment that comes together. There's also a lot of tools and a lot of insight locked up at the OEM level. So I think kind of a consortia kind of approach where we take the different elements from the, um, you know, that the, the IP that's wrapped up in all these startups and bigger companies and OEMs and kind of try and bring it together and, and make and help, you know, we're a workflow company and help them with a workflow in the application engineering space. I think that would also be very interesting. Um, obviously, we're going to um, invest in in other areas, not you know, our traditional focus has been DMLS and SLS, but um, DED is growing up a lot and needs a lot of tracking. So I, I think there there's going to be more work for us to do there. And uh, yeah, I think that there's obviously, our growth um, uh, is not only going to be curtailed by the additive industry in, in future. And you're going to see more more releases that maybe have more specific to other domains as well. So a lot to do for Automplace, yeah.